Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Good morning, Elijah. Thank you for calling me by name. That was nice of you. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Ben, as Elijah just told you. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and uh, excited to be back in week two of our series, Humans of the Bible. We're going to spend the next several weeks studying the lives of real people in the pages of Scripture. Uh, Some of these people are going to be well known to you, and uh, probably their stories will be very familiar if you grew up in church. I bet that was true of of the uh, person we highlighted last Sunday, the story of Moses, but others uh, will likely be less familiar, maybe like some of the people we're going to be focusing on today. But these people all have an important role to play in the larger story of Scripture, and that's why we're highlighting their stories in this series. Because what we know to be true of all Scripture is that ultimately, it's the story of God. It's the story of His love and of His character and of His plan to redeem sinful humanity through His Son, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, Jesus pointed out that the purpose of all Scripture is to reveal the Christ. All of the Old Testament and all of the New ultimately points toward Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to study in the book of Ruth. And if you brought a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn there now toward the front of your Bible. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. You're welcome to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, please keep one of those as your own. This is on page 182 of those Bibles. Uh, But as we read today in the book of Ruth, I want you to keep in mind that this story is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. And I want you to be paying attention and watching for those clues and those connections. Now, as we look at the book of Ruth, this story revolves around two people, Ruth and Boaz, okay? And so I had told the guys we were just going to study Boaz this morning, and as I uh, was studying and preparing, I realized, man, we really need to recognize Ruth in this story as well. So that's why you see Boaz on the screen, but on your notes page, it's Ruth and Boaz, because we need to look at the life of Ruth as well. There's some things there that we can learn. So what you're going to find as we study today is that these, these two people, Ruth and Boaz, they're single folks, and they're living their lives for the glory of God. in a culture that had largely turned away from God. In fact, the story begins like this in Ruth chapter 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. And that statement right there, it points to a time period between the death of Joshua, and some of you will know that, that Joshua took over after Moses died. So the day of the judges starts when Joshua dies, and it lasts until Saul becomes the king of Israel. This is a time period roughly between 1200 and 1020 BC. And when you hear that phrase, the days when the judges ruled, you can know that it was a dark time for the nation of Israel. It's a time when they rebelled against God. It's a time when they uh, decided to sin against God. You can read all of the details about that in the book of Judges. But the final verse of the book of Judges sums up the whole time period. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. People weren't following God. They were doing whatever seemed pleasing in the moment. They were self-centered and self-seeking. They didn't want God telling them what to do, and so they often worshipped other gods, gods that would allow their sinful activities. And that's what it was like in the days when the judges ruled, and it's the backdrop for the book of Ruth. It's a very dark time. Now, we read that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, So a man from Bethlehem, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. 
The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now let's pause right there. Elimelech is moving his family to the land of Moab. And what we read in Genesis chapter 19 is that Moab is the name given to a son born of an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. You can read that account in Genesis chapter 19. Their son Moab became the father of the Moabites. And these are not a godly people. In fact, they worshipped a false god named Chemosh. And they were known for being a very deprived nation. And they were indulging in all kinds of sin. They were known for all kinds of perversion. So Moab is not a place where the people of God are to dwell. But Elimelech is hungry. And so he moves his family there. Now this is a dumb move. It's somewhat like finding uh, yourself in financial trouble and deciding to move your family to North Korea because it's cheaper to live there. But there are so many other reasons why that wouldn't be a good idea, right? But that's kind of what Elimelech is doing here. He doesn't want to die. So he packs up his family and moves to Moab. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Wait for it. And Naomi was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years. Both Malon and Kilion also died after they had lived there 10 years. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So let's look at what has happened so far. Naomi, she's in this foreign land. Her husband has brought her there. Uh, We don't know if if she thought that was a good idea or a bad idea. We just know Elimelech said we're going, and they all went. Elimelech dies. Uh, Malon and Kilion, they marry Moabite women. They live there about 10 years, and then Malon and Kilion die. And so now Naomi is left only with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. We read in verse 6 of the book of Ruth that Naomi hears that the famine has ended back in Bethlehem. And so having more sense than her husband ever had, she decides it's time to go back home. And initially, Ruth and Orpah both want to go with her. They decide that they're going to head out with her and head back to Bethlehem to live. But Naomi protests. And she says, no, my daughters, you can't can't come with me. And she says that not because she doesn't like these girls, but rather because she loves them. And what she knows to be true is that these Moabite women, they're going to be strangers in a foreign land in Bethlehem. They're going to be uh, very vulnerable in Bethlehem with no father to provide for them, no husband to protect them. She says, it's better for you to stay in Moab. Now, Orpah, she hesitates at first, but then she decides that that Naomi's right and she wants to stay in Moab. So she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, but not Ruth. Ruth refuses to leave Naomi's side. And in what is probably the best-known passage of this book, Ruth commits her life to Naomi. In verse 16, she says this. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And what Ruth is giving Naomi in verses 16 and 17, is what the Bible refers to as hesed, hesed. This is a 
Uh, a word that is often translated from Hebrew into English as loving kindness or sometimes as covenant love. Paul Miller, the author of A Praying Life, he describes Hesed as a setting of the will to love regardless of how I feel or even how you respond to me. It's covenant love. It's self-sacrificing love. And Hesed is a major theme not only in the book of Ruth, but in the greater story of the entire Old Testament. It's the story of God's steadfast love for his chosen people, the nation of Israel. And throughout, you can see that he is committed to them, even in their rebellion. When you read in the book of Judges that the people are rebelling against God, eventually they come to their senses and they cry, Cry out to God, and God is faithful to save them and to redeem them every single time. So his Hesed love, it continues even through their rebellion. But I want you to think for a minute about what Ruth's Hesed love will cost her. And Bethlehem was only about 50 miles away from Moab. It was probably a two to three day journey on foot. But it's a completely different culture there. Maybe we could think about it like moving from Noblesville to Mexico. Okay, you could, you could be there in a relatively short amount of time, but it's a completely different nation, completely different language, different culture, different customs. You look different than everyone there, and everything's in kilometers, so you never really know how far away you are. And you're the odd man out. Well, this is what Ruth is coming, uh, committing to in going with Naomi. She's leaving her people. She's leaving her home, everything that's familiar and safe. She's putting it down, and she's saying, you know what, Naomi? I'd rather be vulnerable with you than secure without you. I'm not leaving your side. And in that, she showed Naomi Hesed, covenant love. And so they continue on to Bethlehem together, and we read at the end of chapter 1 that they arrive just at the time of barley harvest. And chapter 2 begins like this. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now that's just backstory for you and I, for what's about to happen. Verse 2 says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up Pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, this practice uh, is fairly common in the Old Testament. It's known as gleaning. And gleaning is exactly what Ruth just described. It's when uh, someone who is poor, someone who is in need, who didn't own their own property or their own fields, would go out, they would find someone who is harvesting, and they would simply walk behind that person, and anything that was discarded or left behind, they were welcome to take that. I think about when I was a kid, um, I would walk on our country road, and I would pick up aluminum cans, and I'd take those to the recycle center and maybe, maybe get a couple of dollars for it. It wasn't much, but it was better than nothing, and that's kind of what Ruth is doing here. In verse 3, it says, so she went out, and she entered a field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Coincidence? I think not. Verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. So, so Boaz, he notices the new girl right away. She catches his eye. And in verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. 
I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now, Bethlehem was not a large city. Uh, It was a relatively small town, in fact. And Boaz has certainly heard that his relative, through Elimelech, uh, has returned, that Naomi has returned, and with her has come this Moabite daughter-in-law. And now, here she is gleaning in his field, and Boaz is happy about that. And he immediately begins to show her kindness. He says, Ruth, you stick with me. Stay in my fields. When you're thirsty, you can drink from my jars. And he tells Ruth that he has already instructed his young men. They're not to lay a hand on her. And we see in all of this, in all of his response to Ruth, if you're taking notes, that Boaz was a fierce protector. That's the first thing I want you to see about him today. Boaz was a fierce protector. Now, why does Boaz have to tell these young men what to do? Well, the answer is because young men don't know what to do, okay? I was a young man once. I can speak very clearly to this. Young men think they know what to do, and then an attractive young woman comes by, and all common sense goes out the window, and young men don't know what to do. They don't know how to behave. Young men need older, wiser, stronger men showing them what to do, how to act, how not to act. So Boaz tells these guys, he says, hey, you see that Moabite girl over there? She's cute. Don't touch her, or I'll break your legs. And they know. They know he means it, and he can do it. Remember, he's a, he's a man of standing. He's a man of power. Ruth is completely vulnerable here. She's a, she's a foreigner. She's a woman with no husband, no father. And Boaz is standing in that gap and protecting her by speaking to these young men. Now, men, can I speak to you for just a minute? Because I believe we need to be men like Boaz. Men who will protect the vulnerable. Men who will stand in that gap and come alongside younger men to show them what they ought to do. I read this week that more than 20 million children in our country, 20 million children are growing up in homes where there is no father figure. And millions more have dads who are physically present but emotionally absent. The article said, if fatherlessness was a disease, it would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. This is why Kevin challenged us last week to commit to building into the next generation. Men and women, hear me on this. Whatever stage of life you are in, You can reach out to the generation behind you. You have something to offer them. You have something to offer them in your wisdom, in your guidance, in your spiritual influence, your protection. And Boaz is a great example of what it looks like to stand in that gap, both for Ruth, protecting her physically, but also for his young men, protecting them from themselves, protecting them from stupid choices. Now in verse 14, we read this. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now keep in mind, Ruth, again, was as low as you could go in society. In fact, she was considered lower than a servant. Boaz, on the other hand, he's a man of standing. He has wealth. He has power. And in this scenario, Ruth would have been expected to serve Boaz. But Boaz doesn't use his power to take advantage of Ruth. She's an outsider for sure. But Boaz treats her like she's an insider. And he shows her honor. And notice that it's Boaz himself who passes her the grain. 
Boaz is serving Ruth. He's the most important person at the table, serving the least important person. And we see in this that Boaz was a humble servant. Boaz was a humble servant. Now, I want you to think about this because I think for all of us, there are moments where we likely are the most important person in the room. You know, whether it's just societal standards or maybe at your place of business or even in your home, there are moments when you are the most important person at the table. You're the most important person in the room. And in those moments, I wonder, how do you use that power? How do you leverage that influence? Do you do it to gain more power for yourself? Do you do it to, to kind of lift yourself up in other people's eyes? Or do you take an opportunity like that to point the attention elsewhere, to serve someone else? And this could play out a lot of different ways. Maybe it plays out at work, uh, possibly in a boardroom or, or in a, a staff meeting, and everyone's eyes are on you for the great job that you've done. But you know that there's a coworker who worked behind the scenes just as hard as you did. And so you deflect that praise and you recognize that person in the shadows. Or maybe it plays out in your home, husbands and wives. Maybe it plays out when you elevate your spouse in front of your children. Or maybe even here at church on Sunday mornings. Maybe, maybe you're comfortable here. You're well known here. You walk in and people know your name and you know where you're going and you know where your kids are going. You know the, the layout and uh, high-fiving as you go. But there's a man or a woman standing in the cafe, and, and, and they've never been here before. And they don't know the drill, and they don't know where they're going. What do you do in that moment? You know, in humbling himself and serving Ruth, Boaz looks a lot like Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 20 that he did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And just as Jesus would humble himself to serve you and I, so Boaz humbled himself and served Ruth. Now, I want you to watch what Boaz does next in verse 15. It says, uh, yes, it says that when Ruth rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men again, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and don't reproach her. So he's saying, even, even the bundles that, that you're collecting, let her pull some out from there. Do some work for her and also pull some out from those bundles yourself and, and leave them for her to glean and don't rebuke her. So Boaz, what he's doing is he's setting Ruth up for the most productive day possible. He's showing her tremendous grace and he's doing this at his own expense. Boaz might as well be dropping dollar bills on the ground for Ruth to pick up because that's what this harvest is to him. It's his hard work paying off. It's his livelihood. It's his paycheck. But Boaz was a generous provider. Boaz was a generous provider. He isn't only looking out for himself, but he's generously providing for Ruth and also for Naomi. Now, let's just be honest. It's really easy to get upside down on this, isn't it? It's easy for you and I to, to really focus in tightly on our own wants and on our own needs and, and to not even really see what's going on around us with the people who are in our, our spheres. And there may be real needs around us that, that we just don't see because we're looking so closely at our own interests. But Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We have to be intentional about that. 
It doesn't just happen. We, we get so consumed with ourselves, with our own lives, with our own uh, financial problems, whatever it might be. We have to be intentional. We have to be faithful to the word of God to not look only to our own interests, but to lift up our eyes and to look around and to help others who may be in need. And that's what Boaz does. He tells his men, let her have my grain and don't rebuke her. Let her take everything that she wants and don't speak harshly to her. And he generously provides for Ruth and Naomi. Now, I want you to see Ruth's, uh, Ruth's response to the kindness of Boaz in verse 17. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. And remember, she started early in the morning. So she's worked all day long, all the way until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. God has graciously provided this opportunity for Ruth, and she responds by working diligently. She works in the field all day. She's bending over. She's crouching down, bundling up these stalks of barley, and her hands are likely raw and sore from the work. Her back is likely aching and screaming for her just to lay down and take a break, but she doesn't quit. When the work in the field is done and the sun has gone down, she begins the work of beating out the grain. So she would have taken those stalks, and she would have slammed them against a rock to break that kernel free from the stalk. And she puts it all into to bags and, and she puts in a long, hard day of work. She doesn't just take a handout from Boaz and call it good. She works diligently. She takes full advantage of the opportunity that God has provided for her. And at the end of the day, it says she ended up with about an ephah of barley. That's about a 40-pound sack of grain. For those of you who have water softeners, those bags of salt that you get at Walmart, that's, that's 40 pounds. That's about how much grain Ruth ended up with in one day of gleaning. And that was unheard of. Okay, in today's money, Ruth has just made about $100 in one day. It's the equivalent of about two weeks' wages that she took home in one day of work because Boaz has graciously set her up for a productive day. So as you read on, you find out that she comes home with her sack of grain, and she comes home with her leftovers from lunch, and she sets it all before Naomi, and Naomi's jaw hits the floor. I mean, she immediately knows this was not a normal day of gleaning. There has to be more to this story. And in verse 19, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. She said, the man... uh, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And remember, we knew the backstory, but Naomi has no idea how this has played out. But Naomi says, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And I want you to hang on to that thought for just a moment. We're going to talk about what that means. But in verse 21, Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. Again, Naomi's looking out for Ruth. She knows she's vulnerable. Stick with Boaz. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I think it's so critical for us to understand that Ruth stayed in the place that God could bless When she got back to Bethlehem, it would have been so easy for her to see that her life there was going to be hard. 
she would have known immediately, here I am, I'm the odd man out, I look different, the customs are different, I don't know the ins and outs, I'm the lowest of society, we have nothing to eat, no one to provide for us, no one to care for us, and in that moment, it would have been so tempting to leave. It would have been so easy to just go back to Moab, go back to her people, go back to her gods, walk away from it all, and just go back to that life that was familiar and safe. But she didn't do that. She stayed with Naomi. And she stayed in the place that God could bless. And now she's been blessed for it. And I bet some of you, you hear a story like this, uh, or maybe you look at some lives around you and you see the way that God is pouring out blessing on the people around you. And I would imagine there have been some moments where maybe you thought, "Why, why doesn't that happen to me? Like, why doesn't God pour his blessing out on me? I'm being as faithful as I possibly can, but, but my marriage is still a wreck. My work situation is awful. My relationships are strained. My finances are upside down. Whatever it is, you maybe look at your life and you think, man, this isn't any different than before I was walking with the Lord. This isn't any different than than before I accepted Christ into my heart. And the temptation will be there in those moments to walk away, to throw up your hands and say, you know what, just just forget it. I'm done with this. I'm going back to Moab. I'm going back to my old life, my old habits. I'm going back to my old friends, whatever. And, And I don't know why. I don't know why God blesses when he blesses. I can't explain to you the timing of that or or why he does this and why he doesn't do that, but this is what I know for sure. God does not bless sin. I know that for absolutely sure. God does not bless sin. And so if you are not experiencing the blessing of God in your life, you stay in the place that God can bless until God blesses. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't go back to your old ways. You stay faithful. You stay patient. Stay in the place that God can bless. Listen, God is a father. I'm a dad. When my son Josiah hits one of his sisters, I don't give him a cookie, okay? If I did that, I would raise psychopaths, right? When my children sin, I correct them and I discipline them, but I don't bless them. I mean, the correction and the discipline is a blessing in itself, but you see what I'm saying. When, the, when my kids live in obedience, that gives me the opportunity to pour out my blessing on them because they are in the place of blessing. So you remain faithful because God loves to bless his kids, but he does not bless sin. So stay in the place that God can bless until God blesses. That's exactly what Ruth did. She remained faithful. She committed herself to Naomi, and God blessed her with great opportunity. And you know what? It was probably six or seven weeks of the hardest work Ruth had ever done. That's about how long it would have taken to harvest all of the grain. But based off of the way Boaz has set Ruth up and the fact that she made about two weeks' wages in one day, at the end of this harvest, Ruth would have had enough grain that would have equaled about a year and a half's wages. Boaz has just set Ruth and Naomi up for over a year. He's provided for them for well over a year. Now, let's go back to that statement that Naomi made in verse 20, that Boaz is a guardian redeemer because it's a, it's a key phrase in this book and it's a key idea in scripture. What that means for Ruth is this. A guardian redeemer was a male relative who had both the privilege and the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need. And a guardian redeemer, the word in Hebrew is goel. It literally means one who delivers or rescues 
So if a male relative died, the guardian redeemer would step in and he would care for the widow. And in reality, it was kind of a sweet deal for the guardian redeemer too because he would also acquire all of the dead man's possessions, all of his wealth and all of his land. Now we know that Boaz is one of Naomi's redeemers. And in Ruth chapter 3, we find that Ruth has fallen in love with him. She's in love with Boaz. Boaz is older. He's probably not the best looking guy in town, but he has a job and he loves the Lord. Okay? So single ladies, take a note. If he has a job and he loves the Lord, he might be the one. Men, if she carries a Bible and she works with barley, put a ring on her finger. You know. Now... You can read the details of the love story part for yourself. We're not going to get into that today. But Ruth, essentially, she goes to Boaz in secret, and she tells her of her affection for him and her desire to be redeemed by him, and he is absolutely overjoyed. In verse 11, he says, My daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask, and the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. Ruth was a woman of noble character. This is super important. Listen, in the Hebrew organization of the scriptures, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Proverbs. That's not how it is in our Bibles, is it? But in the Hebrew scriptures, it would be Proverbs and then Ruth. And what some of you know is that in Proverbs chapter 31, the last chapter of Proverbs, the very final segment is often titled the woman of noble character or the wife of noble character. And it goes on to describe what that woman is like. Now, the phrase that's translated woman of noble character, it's only used three times in all the scripture. It's used twice in the book of Proverbs and once in the book of Ruth. And Ruth is the only woman in all of Scripture to whom that title is given. So in the Hebrew Bible, you you would read this description of what the woman of noble character is like, and then immediately you would go to Ruth, and you would see a living example of that woman of noble character. Now, why why is that? Why, Why does Boaz refer to her that way? What does she do? Well, well, first of all, she shows hesed. Ruth shows hesed. She shows loving kindness, covenant love toward Naomi. And in Proverbs 31, the woman of noble character, she opens her arms to the poor, she extends her hands to the needy, and she provides for her family. We see all of that in Ruth, don't we? Ruth also works diligently. In the opportunities that the Lord provided for her, she worked diligently. She didn't just take a handout from Boaz. She took full advantage of the opportunity that the Lord gave. And in Proverbs 31, uh, the, the woman of noble character, we're told she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She watches over the affairs of her household, and she is deserving of honor for all that she has done. Man, that's a, that's a picture of Ruth, isn't it? And Ruth finally remains faithful. She doesn't return to Moab. She doesn't choose easy, but she stays in the place that God could bless. And we see in Proverbs 31 that the woman of noble character is clothed with strength and dignity. She does what is noble, and she fears the Lord. She respects the Lord. Man, that is just a picture of Ruth. And Boaz, he recognizes all of this, and he says, everyone knows you, Ruth. Everybody's seen you. They've seen the way that you've shown hesed love to Naomi. They've seen the way that you've worked diligently with the opportunities God has provided. They've seen that you remained faithful when you could have walked away. They know that you're a woman of noble character, and I know it too. 
And now I'm honored that you would ask me to redeem you. I'm old and I'm ugly, and yet you have shown me love and kindness in this. Yes, I will redeem you. But there's one hurdle that Boaz has to overcome in order for this to happen. In verse 12, we read, Boaz says, Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another one who is more closely related than I. And so Boaz knows he isn't the first in line. He's not, he doesn't have the first right of refusal, so to speak, on Elimelech's uh, property and, and on Ruth herself. But he puts a plan into motion because he wants Ruth for his own. And he had to put thought into this. He had to choose his words carefully because he knew the primary redeemer, that guy's going to want Elimelech's land, right? I mean, who doesn't want some free property to add to their estate? But Boaz is careful about how he presents the opportunity to this man. And he gathers all of the town elders at the city gate. And uh, this, this primary redeemer, he comes by, and, and Boaz asks him, hey, do you want Elimelech's land? You know, uh, Naomi's got this land, and, uh, and you're first in line, so if you want it, it's yours. And, of course, the man replies, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the land. I'll redeem it. And Boaz says, hey, that's great. And when you take the land, uh, you're also going to inherit Ruth the Moabite girl, okay? And uh, at that, the man's taken a little off guard. I mean, here's all these prominent people, right, sitting at the city gate, and this man you know, is standing there in front of him, and, and no offense, Ruth, but you're still a Moabite, and, and we don't really like the Moabites, and, I've, you know, I brought you into my family, and so all this is going through his mind, he's kind of on the spot, and he just says, you know what, I can't do it. I, I can't let Ruth come into my family. It would wreck my family tree. It, w- it would wreck my lineage. It would ruin my estate, so I'm not going to do it. You know what, Boaz, you do it, and Boaz is like, are you sure? I mean, if you want to, Okay, I'll take it, you know, and he jumps on it, and Boaz redeems Ruth, and it's the final point I want to make about Boaz. He was a loving redeemer. Boaz was a loving redeemer. He went out of his way to redeem Ruth, and he was shrewd about it, wasn't he? He gave careful thought and attention to how this would go down. He did it so that he could ensure that Ruth would be loved and cared for and brought under his protection. Who knows how this other guy would have treated Ruth? Who knows uh, you know, how she would have been treated in his household? But Boaz loves her, and he makes sure that he's going to be the one to redeem her. So here's the challenge this morning. Men, I want to ask you first, are you a man like Boaz? Are you a fierce protector watching out for the vulnerable, leading younger men who don't know what to do, protecting those who cannot protect themselves? Do you, do you find that quality in yourself as Boaz did? Are you a humble servant, not looking to be served, but to serve? And are you a generous provider? Do you look for those opportunities to share the things that God has shared with you, not looking only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others? And then ladies, I wonder, are you a woman like Ruth? showing loving kindness to the people who God has put into your life. And you think about who those relationships might be, and maybe it's somebody that, you know, they're kind of hard to love, they're hard to be around, but you are committed to them. You're committed to that relationship. You have a covenant love for them when maybe nobody else does. Are you working diligently in the opportunities that God has given you, doing everything for God's glory, whether you're in the workplace, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're homeschooling your kids, whatever it might be. Are you working diligently at it? And are you doing it all for God's glory? And finally, are you remaining faithful? Are you staying in that place that God can bless until he blesses? Are you pursuing righteousness, pursuing purity? Ruth is a great example of these things. 
ladies, as you strive to be a woman of noble character. I want to finish with this one last piece. I mentioned earlier that the entire Bible is the story of God and that all of the Old Testament is ultimately pointing toward Jesus. Well, before the book of Ruth concludes, we read that the newlyweds, they conceive and they have a child. And in chapter 4, verse 17, it says they named him Obed and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in one last irony, I think, in the book of Ruth, the primary redeemer... He passed on redeeming Ruth because he was concerned about his family tree. He didn't want a Moabite in his family lineage. But we see that Ruth and Boaz become the great-grandparents of King David, one of the greatest figures in all of the Old Testament. And if you know your Bible, you know that ultimately Jesus came from the line of David. And when you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 5, Ruth and Boaz are listed there in Jesus' family tree. And when you read in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for a, a census because they were from the line of David, this is where it began. A Moabite girl and a guardian redeemer. And through them, the ultimate redeemer would one day come. Charles Spurgeon goes so far as to call Jesus our glorious Boaz. And he notes, As Boaz came to his land, so Jesus came to his earth. As Boaz saw Ruth in her distress, so Jesus has seen us. As Boaz initiated relationship with Ruth, so Jesus has initiated that relationship with us. As Boaz showed kindness to Ruth, so Jesus has shown kindness to us. As Boaz redeemed Ruth, so Jesus has redeemed us. As Boaz owed Ruth nothing, so Jesus owes us nothing, and yet he gave everything to redeem us. And just as Ruth received the good gifts from Boaz, we must receive the gift from Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm here to tell you today it's a free gift. The Lord desperately, lovingly, graciously wants to pour out his redemption on you. And for some of you here today, you have been resisting that for far too long. You have been living in Moab, the place of distance from God, the place uh, of choosing your own thing, choosing what's right in your own eyes. And God is saying, come back. Come back to me. I've done everything necessary. Kevin told the story last week of the man who had the thought in his head, man, I've I've done too much. God could never forgive me. Really? You're the one person that God could never forgive? It's not true. It's a lie of the enemy. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. And today can be the day for you when you know new life, new freedom, hope, and joy in Jesus Christ. I hope that you desire that. I hope that you will take a bold step toward Jesus today. If you want to talk more about what a relationship with Christ means, I would love to talk to you after the service. But let me pray for us now. Father God, I thank you so much for the story of Ruth and of Boaz. That in these two characters, Lord, that that we can see a picture of the coming Christ And we can see a a picture of what it means to, to be men and women of integrity, men and women pursuing righteousness and purity in a culture that is pursuing anything but. Father, I pray for our men today that that we would be men like Boaz. I pray that you would find us fierce protectors of the vulnerable. Father, that you would find us faithful to raising up a generation behind us who does not know what to do. Father, I pray you find us humble in our service, not looking to be served, but to serve. 
And Father, find us generous in our provision, just as you were generous towards us with your one and only son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for our ladies this morning. I pray that they would be women like Ruth, showing loving kindness, hesed love. Father, that you would spur them on to work diligently, to honor you with their work, whether it's in the home, outside of the home, and everything that we do, everything that our hands find to do, Father, we would give you glory. And finally, that they would remain faithful, staying in that place that God can bless, that you can bless until you do indeed bless. Father, I pray this morning for those in the room who do not know your saving grace, for those who have not received the gift of Jesus Christ, I pray your spirit would move inside of them, that he would reveal your love to them, and that they would be faithful to receive the free gift today. Father, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.